I mean, he's been putting in work for so long. Putting in a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Putting In Work, episode 83 of the interview podcast on the 8-Bit Collective, powered by Audio-Technica, and I'm your host, John O'Peck, joined this week by Matt O'Kine. Just quickly, we don't have any iTunes reviews of the week. We're fresh out, so if you enjoy the show, please support it the best way you can, and that's by leaving an iTunes review, telling a friend, spreading the word. So, Matt O'Kine, wow, what a dude. Comedian, writer, actor, rapper even, and the star of The Other Guy, streaming now on Stan in Australia. It's over on Hulu in the US and the Super Channel in Canada. It's really cool to see some success with this show because Matt's worked his way up to it. I didn't realize that TV was always kind of his goal. I assumed that he was just a kind of a comedian that fell into acting uh, starting at the, a young age. He was a Triple J Raw finalist in like 2004. So he's been doing this for a long time. But apparently acting was always on the agenda. And that's what I found out in this interview. And it was really cool to kind of see, you know, the behind the scenes struggles that he's faced, even as someone that we've seen on our TV, heard on our radio as a Triple J breakfast host. And I guess just you always kind of think these people have it together and that they have a clear cut path. But he's someone that has struggled with uh, attaining the success that he wants to have. And I guess having his own TV show is a big part of that. So it's really awesome to see that coming through for him and doing so well, because I watched this show, I binge watched it with my wife after I decided I wanted to get Matt on this podcast. And it's really good. It's a dramedy and comedy mixed together. And it walks that line really well. And we had a, a great chat about the process of kind of crafting that show and what he wanted it to be. I guess as a culmination of all the work that he had done in his past leading up to that point. He's now working on the second season, which hopefully is coming out pretty soon because I'm really keen to see it, see where the show goes. And of course, if you're not familiar with Matt, in his stand-up work, he's supported guys as big as Dave Chappelle, Aziz Ansari. Earlier this year, he hosted the Melbourne International Comedy Festival Gala, did a great job, and his latest stand-up tour, The Hat Game, is happening all around Australia. I think that's hitting Tasmania next, so if you're down in Tassie, make sure you don't miss out on that show. We only had some slight technical difficulties. I think Matt's phone or his internet cut out completely while we were talking, so he ended up just kind of talking to himself for a couple minutes, but it was nice. I got to hear it for the first time while I was editing the interview, and you can hear that coming right up. Without further ado, here's Matt O'Kine. Enjoy the show. Thank you so much for joining me, Matt. It's awesome to have you here. It's been a while coming, but we finally made it work. Yeah, man. There's a there's you. There's another guy called Matt Tilby. Um, you guys are mad hustlers. <laughs> yeah, I just listened to that today. The one perfect game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you guys. I have to. I have to always give credit for uh, you know persistence in in Thank getting you. the guest, man. Oh, you know, you probably know about it to some degree, doing uh, your fair share of interviews. Well, you know, <laughs> like there's a lot to be said about um, about just not being annoying, but being just, well, persistent. You know yeah. what I mean? Like uh, like if you'd asked and then I couldn't do it that first week and then you just stopped doing it, then I wouldn't be doing it. Yeah, but it. you didn't mind asking and I don't mind doing it. It's just a matter of, yeah, chasing it down and making sure that you, uh, you know, they can make it work. And you're a busy dude. That's why it's taken so long. I think I um I was actually at the comedy gala and it was like the intermission and you were hosting it. You were doing a great job. And I was like, this guy's awesome. I need to get him on my podcast. And I emailed your agent. And of course, I never heard anything back because there was probably no commission to be made or however that works. Uh, but then I noticed that your DMs were open on Twitter and uh, you've been very uh, receptive and open to doing it. So thanks for again for coming on the show. 
No, it's cool, man. Thanks. I every now and then uh, do the old um, like Insta or Twitter slide into someone who I want to work with. <laughs> And yeah. uh, I think I did it to Mike Skinner recently from the streets. Oh, wow. Uh, actually, I think I've slid into his DMs, I think, a total of three times now. No reply whatsoever at all. Complete blanking. Mm. I didn't realize he was still working. Well, he's doing his own different projects and stuff. I mean, he's someone who I've always looked up to for ages in terms of being a kind of auteur, if that is the correct word for it. <laughs> um, yeah, I've really... I mean, there's always just been times when I've like, you know what? I'll just throw a Hail Mary out there. I think Joyride told me the first time he was like, um, he did a Hail Mary with, oh man, what's the guy's name? He's a massive uh, West Indian cricket player. I know his name, Chris. God, why have I forgotten his last name all of a sudden? Like the, He's like the biggest West Indian guy most recently playing a lot of 2020. Anyways, um, <laughs> he just did a Hail Mary with him when he was in Australia. and uh, And then the dude ended up at his DJing gig. At the That's like uh, official after party or something. So it was pretty cool. That's kind of the story of my podcast, really. It's just reaching out to people and hoping that they check their DMs or their emails or whatever it is. So Sometimes it works yeah. out. That's it. So, Matt, you're a man of many talents. It's it's fair to say. I uh, even checked out your one of your rap videos today. But let's take it back to the beginning. And I guess that's the Triple J Raw competition. Is that your introduction to comedy? Yeah, that was my introduction to stand-up. Mm-hmm. You know, I entered that, I wanted to enter it when I was 17. Um, I remember talking to a friend at a party saying, hey, we should do a double act. Um, Shout out to Nathan Pickles. Um, (laughs) And I went to register to do it, but um, we, it was too late. And I'd just gotten into an acting degree, uh, which was a Bachelor of Fine Arts at QUT in Queensland. Uh, because it was too late to enter Raw that year, the very first year that I, you know, was to just left high school and stuff. Um, I waited until the next year. And one of the reasons why I entered in it the next year is because we had a a module in our course that was for stand-up comedy. And uh, I decided to do that uh, ahead of time just to get like a little bit of a head start on everyone. I'd always wanted to do stand-up. I thought it was a cool mm. thing. So, yeah, I entered it ahead of time. and um, and yeah, and then and then look, I ended up doing well in that competition. Well, not great in the final. I was terrible in the final, but I really, I really bombed. But it got me, it got my foot in the door within the comedy scene within Brisbane. I started running with a dude called Fideli, who is, uh, does the you know runs a lot of the, basically runs the scene in Brisbane. And uh, he was running the sit down comedy club at the time. And he, I remember after my very first gig, just came up to me and said, you know is this something you think you want to do for a little, like for a lot or what? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. And then he, and then he started booking me for his open mic rooms. And I don't know, it's funny looking back on it now because I didn't, you know, you never really understand what the process, what that means. Like now I go to the Brisbane comedy comedy. Like there's a, there's a page on uh, Facebook for all the Brisbane comics and people are like fighting for these open mic spots and it's not as easy to get, but to, uh, to be taken under your wing by someone like, him was uh was cool to have happen back in the yeah. day that's for sure and like that's what 15 years ago now isn't it yeah 14 uh or 14 and a half now so it's been a long slog man it hasn't been easy <laughs> that's why you're on the show i want to hear like what's like what's the progression because i guess a lot of people get into like you said that you wanted to to study acting and you were doing that and then did you get sidetracked by comedy because i know that you're obviously doing a lot of acting now you've got your own tv show and that's going really well but 
did comedy kind of, did you get the bug or whatever it is? Nah, man. Look, I originally did comedy because one, it was a, it was just something that I'd always been, I'd always loved watching on TV. I mean, it was just something I always looked forward to. Realistically, though, one of the main reasons why I did comedy is because uh, I was 18 when I started that acting degree. And I felt like at the time, there weren't really many people that looked like me on TV. Uh, and doing the acting degree, I felt like I was going to be typecast in kind of very uh, periphery style mm. roles of, you know, um, uh, you know, so-and-so's best friend that fits the quota of multiculturalism and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I felt like if I could do comedy in my own voice in front of audiences, I could make myself familiar with them and then be, I don't know, discovered in, in a sense, in, in lack of a better word. And, you know, funnily enough, 14 years later, yeah. that probably <laughs> happened, but it took a long yeah. time. But was that all along something that you were working towards or did it take a backseat at some stage? I mean, to have a TV show was always the the dream from mm. day one. Since I watched Seinfeld like 10, 10, 15 years ago, whenever, you know, I was watching Seinfeld growing up. Like I just thought that that was just the, that would just be the coolest thing ever. So that, that has always been the number one goal for me. Um, so to achieve that last year with the other guy was, was awesome. And um Acting never took a backseat to comedy. It's more that comedy became my life and focus because that was the community that accepted me. Sure. And also because it was like, it, it was just, it's just so much fun. Like I just love doing it and I love being a part of the community and it's a different style of performance and it acting and, and most of the time, unless you are one of the lucky actors that gets a role on a, as a regular on a TV show, which honestly is so rare as an actor like you know the 98 percent of you are just are, are doing nothing um and and you know one percent of your year is spent on an ad or maybe as a guest role on a tv show and the rest of the time you're not yeah. doing anything um and only occasionally do, are you lucky enough to get a lead role in something so as an actor you actually just spend your whole year not doing what you like doing and feeling like shit whereas it, as a comedian you get to do that every you know second night or whatever you still get to like do what you yeah. want you know um do what you love doing and you get to do it in in all sorts of places you're doing in the oakley hotel oakley hotel in one night or you're doing the stones corner hotel and you're only doing it for five minutes or 10 minutes and sometimes you suck and you hate yourself and other times you do great and you you know you get paid 50 dollars. but there's always the feeling and the obvious indication of progression within mm. your field you know that there are all these little hallmarks that you can try to achieve so you know you, you first get booked for your five or ten minute spots and then the next thing you get paid for a spot and that's the next little achievement and the next thing you do is a 15 minute support sp spot for a friend or, or you know someone that you look up to and the next thing is you're emceeing a night and it's just so much easier to track your progression with acting you can just spend forever doing auditions and then and and nothing comes of any of it and and you just sink into the into the world of obscurity by the way of selling wine on the phone or or working in a cafe so yeah 
I always felt inspired by comedy because it made me feel like I was doing something. Sure. And was there a long process of feeling comfortable doing it? Because I've heard a lot of people say how, you know, it is something that's out of your comfort zone to do that. And it takes a long time to feel natural on stage doing, you know, telling jokes to a room of strangers. Is that what it was like for you? Or was it something that you just took to like a fish in water? No, I mean, there's still so much time that you spend trying to figure out who you are. Um, and what you should sound like. And th- I mean, it's just such a classic, classic thing to start emulating other comics mm-hmm. that you look up to and everything like that. Like I I like mimicked Dave Williams, who's a, a com- comedian in Sydney, like so much. And it was, <laughs> it's like, it's just like, uh, you know, I look back on it and it was, you know, and I, and I, because I just really loved his work. I just thought he was so funny. The angle that he had on it, everything he did, these jokes was just so right down my alley and his style and everything I really liked. So, I mean, so I, I mean, I say that I adopted his style. That was after I tried to mimic, you know, uh, Mitch Hedberg, which every comedian when I was starting off was trying to do because he was the comics comic and he was mm. really cool and and such a great writer and stuff. Who's a who's a you know American comic if you don't know him? And he died of a heroin overdose in two thousand and five. And and I mean he was just such a I was blown away when I first saw him. But then you know when when I moved down to Sydney and I actually got to start seeing people that I'd be you know working with around the traps. Yeah, Dave Williams is probably my biggest inspiration at the time. And in hindsight, I think that he was probably channeling a bit of Greg Fleet as well. Uh, I, I don't know if he's going to hear this, but I hope he doesn't mind me saying that. <laughs> but I, I you know I, I I saw I see a lot of Dave Williams in Greg Fleet, and, and I know that I was channeling Dave Williams, and I love Greg Fleet. You know when I was I loved watching Greg Fleet back then as well so it was like you know i feel like you're always going to make the mistake of being trying to be someone else for a while before you find your own voice um it was probably around about 20 2009 2010 i'd say that i i started really sort of finding my own voice um and but you know this just happens like i see comics now who are coming up in sydney who I'm like, oh, that's that's me. You're doing me. You know what I mean? Like, I just know, like, it's just like, I know exactly whether it's exactly the style of joke or whether it's a behavior. It's just like, it just happens. And I don't blame anyone for doing it because I did it to people in the scene as well. Yeah. So, and it happens in the music, you know, yeah. people are loving Ocean Alley at the moment. Ocean Alley sounds a lot like Sticky Fingers to me, you know, or you, and then, but then Ocean Alley would probably tell you that they are not trying to be like Sticky Fingers. They're trying to be like, whoever sticky fingers were mimicking back, you know, when they started and it's just, it'll always keep going. And it's not a bad thing. It's not, it's not a, it's not a malicious thing. It's, it should be, I think appreciated, I Mm. guess. It's a great way to start out because like, how else are you going to start out? You don't know what you're doing really. And it's the same with like, exactly. You got to do it. It's the same with like, I just talked to a a, a number one best-selling author, Shea Serrano. And he said that when he started out, he was pretty much copying some writers that he was really into. And, through that, he found, you know, what worked for him and what was unique to his voice. And that's pretty much what you're saying with your comedy, I think. Dude, you know, one of the best, one of my favorite things to do in what in this industry is stop thinking that we're special because we're artists yeah. or whatever. Like there's this, this sense of delusion that's out of control with actors and comedians and musicians where we we really do so often think that we're, so important and special and stuff and i'm not saying that art isn't important in a whole you know in its whole what it brings to society and stuff of course Mm. it is but but 
sometimes it's a really great way to figure out where you actually sit in the scale of things. And and one of the one of the turning points for me was realizing that um, you know, no one it was very easy to get disenfranchised early on because you feel like people are against you. You know, there's so so often you feel like, oh, why does that person get a gig? Why does that person get a gig? Why why aren't I getting gigs? Oh, people don't like me. They hate me for some reason. I must have pissed them off or whatever. And the reality is, like I just remember, I remember realizing that I'm as I'm as useful to anyone in this industry as a mattress is to a mattress salesman, and. All I have to do is figure out where I sit in that world of mattresses and how I should position myself and 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 where they're going to find um, value in me and how they're going to sell that to a customer. That's literally, I, I started thinking that around about 2011. It was a really depressing sort of thought, but that's that's it's it's I'm no better than a than a than a mattress or a or a. Um, a tin of paint or whatever, you know, as soon as you realize that you're like, people make jokes about talk, referring to their brand, but realistically you have to think about your brand. If you're going to be selling yeah. yourself as a, as a person, as, as an artist or whatever. And, you know, you have to have a style guide. You have to figure out where you fit in that, in, in that shop. You know, are you, are you a budget mattress or are you a handmade, you know, $12,000 mattress? And there's value in both because, you know, McDonald's don't sell expensive burgers, but they sell a lot of them. <laughs> and and you know why they sell a lot of them? Because they're reliable and you can always know no matter where you go in the world, you'll get a good burger. And one of like one of those, you know, do you want to be a strong, hardworking, reliable comic who will always get a seven out of ten in their gig? Or do you want to be someone who gets ten out of ten one night and two out of ten another night and just and just risk it? You always got to think about these things when I, you know, I feel in this in this sort of industry more than, um, you know, some of the funniest people in the world, some of the funniest people I know, some of the funniest comics in the world suck. They just they just shit, and they and they it annoys me to tears because they can't wrap their head around consistency and reliability, and they you know they might they might turn up one night, and other nights they just they 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 just dial it in and they and they're garbage, and you can't rely on them, and so yeah. You know, do you want to be, what sort of mattress do you want to be? That was a big thing that I started asking myself a long time ago. It's weird. It's real weird. That's good. But it's stuck with me forever. I think you're more entertaining than a mattress. I'll give you that. <laughs> well, mate, that's funny, but mattresses are pretty useful. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people, everyone needs one. So, <laughs> yep. you know, that that was the uh, that was my reasoning behind that. A poor, a poor ass you know, um, student on on youth allowance still needs to go out and buy a mattress, and they they you know want to get the best one they can afford. So that was always my thought. That's great. That's gold. So when you were able to get a job at Triple J, was that for you an extension of you know being able to talk on the mic and tell jokes and that kind of thing, or was there a lot of element of that that was like, hey, this is a steady job. I don't have to go out and bust my butt. You know doing comedy every single night i can actually have a not nine to five because it's a breakfast show but i can have a consistent work uh, income coming in no i i don't know when i decided to do triple j i it just happened <laughs> yeah i mean we had a couple of meetings and i um i remember vividly one after one of the meetings 
like I was driving along City Road in Sydney towards Broadway Shopping Centre and I'm, I remember thinking, oh, when I get home, I'm just going to have to call them and let them know that I can't do it. Um, and I actually don't know when or why I changed my mind. I it's For some reason, that has blocked... I don't, my brain's blocked that out. Um, I feel like sometimes, you know, like it's like a little glitch in the matrix. Like, yeah, I just don't know. I, don't, I actually don't remember any of of what changed about that at the time i just i was in edinburgh when i first got the call from triple j uh, you know hinting that they would be interested and i um i just been nominated for best newcomer actually no it was, it was a little bit before that actually and i got i got nominated for newcomer probably a couple of days after that um and i'd heard that tom was leaving and so I knew that it was going to be for a, a big gig. And I was also talking to, um, well, I was also in the midst of writing and, and being in a TV show called This Is Littleton, which was like I was writing my own sketches and being a character in this show alongside other mixed characters. And that was the start of when I was like, this is what I've always wanted to do. Right. And then, you know, from that, I was having meetings with like William Morris Entertainment and um, and like all these big American agencies and, and UK agencies that were sort of, you know, asking me, what do you want to do? Like, it's just a sort of buzz that you get when you, when you get nominated for, for newcomer over there um, at Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And, you know, I was testing, I tested for eight out of 10 cats and it was like the, I, at that stage, I was like, I should probably not do this gig because that will keep me in Australia and keep me here for a few years. And that's, and right now I'm, I'm on the up internationally and I felt like I was in a really good place and I felt like a move, you know, to the UK was on the cards with all these opportunities and everything like that. And so that's why I say, like, I don't even know when I changed my mind. I think I did it for, yeah, for like family and friends sort of reasons. Like I think, I think I needed to stay in Australia for... I think I did change my mind for that grounding, yeah. yeah. I think that was the decision that I made. And it turned out to be the best decision I could have ever made. Like, I, I'm really, really, really glad that I that I did Triple J. It was just the best thing ever. It was just such a great experience. I mean, the people I got to work with, the things I got to do, um, you know, meeting and becoming friends with Alex and, and, you know, learning from him, it was just the best. But certainly that decision, I, I am denied for, for a long time, longer probably than people would expect you to do when a job like that comes That's up. That's interesting. So did you grow up listening to like Adam and Will on Triple J? And Oh, yeah. yeah. Dude, dude. I mean, this was like, that was the dream gig. When I was, the only the only reason why I'm denied as well for so long is that, um, is that I was old, you know, I was 29. And I just, and once you sort of passed, like Tom and Alex were like 20, 19 and 21 when they started it. I remember where I was when I listened to them first doing, you know, the 100, Hottest 100 Countdown. And I'd done some work, like some um, gigs with Tom. I'd known Tom for a few years by that stage. And he was like, nine, he was 15 when I met him, you know, <laughs> doing these gigs. Yeah. And I, and then all of a sudden, four years later, I was listening to him to host the Hottest 100. So, when you're listening to someone like that that you've known for four years and they're only 19, I mean, by the time you're 29, you don't you don't think that that's even a possibility. You've just thrown it out the window. Like it's just not 
you know, it's like I've always, I've always, always, I auditioned and I got close. Well, not heaps close, but I, you know, I got callbacks for Power Rangers about oh, well, wow. 14 years ago. We're all about the same time when I started stand up. I was auditioning for Power Rangers and I was, you know, I'd uh, got, you know, callbacks for that. And um, I just remember desperately wanting to be in like a superhero show or a TV show or a movie or, you know, or it's like being in a TV show like The OC or. Beverly Hills 90210, like those have been my two dream jobs, a high school drama or a superhero movie. And like now that I'm 33, that dream is well and truly gone. So like you just don't even think about it. And that's how I felt with the Triple J thing. Like those dreams were long gone when I got that call. So I guess it was also, yeah, an element of surprise that made me probably rethink it for a long time. Sure. Hey, I mean, Paul Rudd, became a superhero at like 40 or however old he is so don't give up <laughs> oh yeah look who knows maybe there'll be an old person superhero one of these days hey once once the industry stops being so damn ageist they're all they're all kind of old like robert downey jr is pretty old and yeah that's true he is yeah i guess batman's know. getting pretty old as well maybe it's not maybe look maybe in one of the new i don't know black panther 4 i'll get a gig yeah <laughs> sounds good so yeah, I mean, it's, it's really cool. It must have been cool to kind of grow up having that Triple J uh, experience with idolizing probably Adam and Will and then realizing that people are listening to you every single day and you've become a part of their routine and a big part of their life as well with Alex. Yeah, it is. But it's also daunting, you know, like um, it's like I remember I was thinking about this the other day. It's like I remember thinking Will Anderson was a bit lame when I was in high school or, you know, a bit like I remember thinking that he laughed at his own jokes too much or whatever, you know, and like oh, probably, t you know, 10 years later or whatever it was, 13 years later, he was the person I called up to ask whether I should do the, the gig or not, you know, and, mm. I, and I look up to him more than any comic probably in Australia. I just think he's the like the best, most hardworking dude and so it's funny when you you know that people have an opinion about you mm. that's based on stuff that they don't realize you know like you have to you have to put out a, a, a an astounding amount of content when you work on a breakfast radio show and not all of it is good like and <laughs> so much of it is not good yeah. you know like it's just like it's just crazy so yeah, I'm also very aware that you know, you build you build up a reputation for yourself that sometimes doesn't necessarily exactly match who you are despite people thinking that that's who you are. Hmm. So, it was it was it was an awesome learning curve. I feel way more comf comfortable about creating content now because I know that it's not the be all and end all and that you'll always get another opportunity. Um and like Will told me, like, Will, I, you know, I called him this one afternoon. I said, you know, should I do this job or whatever? And he was like, look, the thing you got to understand about a job like Triple J Breakfast is you'll never not work in this country again. It's like, you know, I, I can name all the Triple J Breakfast hosts back to the 80s, right, the last yeah. 30 years, you know, and, and, uh, and they're all still working absolutely fine. And so... You know, he's dead right about that. It's just, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just it was just a huge learning curve and something that I really, 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 really appreciated doing and something that I'm so, like, one of those things that I'm so proud of having on my resume um, 
no matter where I go in the world, you know, in terms of radio, the radio world, everyone knows Triple J and it's it's something that I'm super, super, super proud of. But um but yeah, you know, it's it's not it wasn't always the easiest to do in terms of what how it can affect your kind of public perception, I guess. Or your or your feelings towards your public perception. Right. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I guess I didn't think that uh, there's that whole aspect to it. So from from going from there, what was uh, the steps towards getting your TV show up and running? The other guy, it's on stand for people in Australia. I think Hulu in the US and it's in Canada too now. Yeah, Super Channel uh, on Super Channel Fuse. That's rad. It is rad, you know, and it's something that I'm super, super proud of. I, I literally just had a moment today where I was like, that I was just, I had to remind myself that I should be proud of things like that because the, they're the things that I, I desperately wanted 10 years ago. So if 10 years ago me could see that now, he'd be like, mm. dude, what are you worried about? Like, just be happy with, with what you've got. Um, but it's that <laughs> typical thing where you always, I guess, want more. You know, it's not that it's not good enough to just be in the States or in Canada now. Now you want to be the best show in the States and the best show in Canada. And it's like... Mm. give yourself a break sometimes yeah. <laughs> that process to getting that show was a lot longer than triple j and i guess that's one of the things that people probably don't realize when they're just starting out in the industry is that everything that you do it builds towards something even when you don't feel like you're building anything so i'll probably i'll probably leave us on this because it's a it's a long explanation of where how I feel I got the TV show but it, like I said it's always been something that I've wanted forever hmm. and uh, and it's you know and I feel like it's the culmination of of my career or the 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 peak of my career at this point so I remember sitting outside I was working at a call center selling wine on the phone with some uh, friends there were six of us that were working at this call center selling wine. Um, and all hating the job, but we were all actors and none of us were working. And it was that typical, so stereotypically depressing in that kind of sense of unemployed actor vibes. And, you know, I'd went, I went, I'd always wanted to make a show and I went for an audition for this show and I didn't get it. And then a friend of a friend of a friend got a role in it and I got a little bit jealous. And I just kept thinking like, it was a big show. It was a Jonathan Edwards show. Um, and he does like, he was, you know, he does all these sort of big shows. He, him and his, um, and his son did Romper Stomper even just recently, oh, wow. and yeah. they did like Headlands, and they've just done so many. I think I think they did Secret Life of Us. God, don't don't um. And I remember just getting bummed out because I didn't get a call back or anything for this gig, and I was like, man, like this dude did not start off being Jonathan Edwards. Like hmm. he he started somewhere else, you know, and like he it's it sort of really. Oh, wait a second. Oh, God. Wait, wait. Now I'm just Googling something. <laughs> Hold on. Is it John Edwards? Maybe it's just John Edwards. Oh, yeah. It's John Edwards. Sorry. But yeah. So yeah, he did do Love My Way, Secret Life of Us. Huge. Just like he's offspring. Like he's just one of the absolute legends of the game. So it's John Edwards, not not uh, Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards is a triple jumper who I look who I look up to <laughs> okay. immensely also. um, So yeah, just trying to figure out. I was like, how does this dude... Like, you know, you got to start somewhere. And so I figured we just had to make it. I had to just try my own TV show. So I made a TV show called 
not available with the six friends that are that we all worked at this one with five friends that we all worked at this um, one call center and it was about it was about a bunch of actors that worked at a call center and um, I asked my friend Jeffrey Walker who used to be Bronson on Round the Twist and is now like an absolute just legendary director so killer so young just really really good and he kindly very very kindly. Um, decided to take it on as a project and we pulled together six thousand dollars and and made this tv show in two days it was a whole pilot it was about 24 minutes of footage in two days which is crazy and i pitched it to abc and they said no and i was heartbroken at the time but it was the start of that that decision i was like i'm just gonna be unapologetic and i'm just gonna make a tv show that was um was what did it and i and i should actually get down to the the minutia of it because it wasn't it wasn't as simple as just making a tv show you know and i've always hated i guess when i hear about stories about how people got to where they are they kind of love to jump over things like that like they kind of always just go oh, and then we made a tv pilot and then it got picked up and blah 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 but the reality is i'd never done anything like that i'd never produced a show i'd never written a show and i was sitting with my friend candace eating lunch at this stupid wine call center and i remember thinking i remember having this conversation with her and i said look if i do this i'm not going to be a good person about it i'm just going to do whatever we can to get this damn thing done and she said that's fine someone needs to take leadership in this situation and if you think you can do it then do it and so from that point on I just decided that I was going to be absolutely and completely unapologetic in a pursuit to get a tv pilot made and the first thing that entailed was getting all of us together and having these excruciating writing meetings where we'd argue for hours on end about diet lines of dialogue and how our character should be and everything like that. But it didn't matter. We were just getting stuff done. And then, you know, how do you make a TV pile? I've got no idea. I've never, I've never shot anything that wasn't on my phone before. So all of a sudden it was, it was okay. Calling up Jeff. My friend Jeff, he's a director. He should know what's, what to do. And I said, we want to make this pilot. And he said, great, who's, who's producing it? And then it was like, I don't know. I don't know. And, and that is basically how you build anything at all. Like just decide to do it and then figure out how you're supposed to do it later. And make all the mistakes, and it was it was it's literally piecing together the whole thing was was basically like that. So it was going to someone, going, "Hey, are you keen?" And them saying, "Yes." Who's your DP? Who's your director of photography going to be? And then it's like, "Gee, geez, I don't know." So then you you know you 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 search Facebook for directors of photography or you you know you ask any friend who might have a who who's good with video cameras and you ask them if they know a director of photography and then once you get the director of photography they go hey who's going to be your lighting person and you're like jesus i don't know and then so you you know you're talking to lighting people and if you've just if you've just rejoined us we had a little bit of a uh uh cut out I, my phone died and i was fully yapping away about how to make a tv pilot um, for the first time, not a not a mm. proper good one, like an indie one. So that was the starting block. But that was in two thousand and nine. You know, it's like mm. that's how long it takes to to figure it out. 
I don't know, yeah. to figure it out, to forge relationships, to know how to write a show, to to understand what it takes to put one together, to, you know, meet people. Mm. I think one of the biggest things that has helped me through my whole career is just the relationships that I've been able to maintain with people throughout this whole, you know, throughout 15 years. Mm. And I think that something that, that people um, who are just starting out like to forget or not realize is that the people who are at the top weren't always at the top and the people that you start off with will one day be at the top. Sure. So you got to be, you got to maintain good relationships with people. You've got to be respectful. You've got to be good to work with. Um, you've got to deliver the goods as often as you can. Um, and, and yeah, you know, like when you're just graduating from uni, don't, don't worry so much about what, everyone who's been in the game for 20 years is doing and yeah you you know you'll miss out on opportunities and they won't they might not know who you are yeah. and all that sort of stuff but like look next to you and and you know look at the person who graduated with you and they're the people who are going to be the big names in 10 years yeah rove mcmanus wasn't always rove mcmanus no no he certainly wasn't <laughs> he was on channel 31 <laughs> well that's it hamish and andy were on channel 31 as well like Someone, you know, they all graduated from uni or whatever they were doing when they were 17 or 18. If you're 20 years old, 21 years old, and you want to get in the industry, look at the people who are making short films now. Like, they're going to make... They're the people who will make Oscar-winning movies one day. Hmm. Sure. So, the other guy, one of the things I really enjoyed about it was the, I guess, balancing the drama with the comedy. Obviously, that's been a... a approach that you've put a lot of thought into and I think you've pulled it off really well so what would you say has been the hardest part of getting to the point you're at now where you you know you're working on the second season your whole career in many ways has led up to the other guy because it's what you wanted to do from the beginning so what's been the most challenging thing to to get where you are now I mean definitely the most challenging thing about the other guy is that it does ride that that line between drama and comedy and it really annoys me that people, like some people, people, some people have really enjoyed it. Other people just can't grasp the idea that things can be both. Yeah, and it and it really, really does my head in. It's so it's so frustrating sometimes that people need to be spoon fed how they're supposed to feel, and that's what annoys yeah. me. I mean, these are the best comedies at the moment, isn't it? Like Master of None, Mark Maron's TV show. They're all about these comics who are actually presenting some kind of dramatic part of their life as well. And well I, I think just, that's kind of what you've done with AJ. I just like doing both, you know, and I and it's just because yeah. that's what life is. And I like being funny and I like being dramatic sometimes. I don't understand why it's difficult for people to... But, you know, I guess a lot of people sort of turn on the TV just wanting to be told how to feel. They're like, I want to watch a comedy right now. I want it to mm. be funny and I don't want to have to feel anything else. I've never loved that sort of thing. And so I I I always prefer to to look at both sides always. So yeah, that's been the hardest part of it. But it's also that's also been the most rewarding part of it as well is people going, oh, "I didn't expect to feel like that watching it." So, mm. you know, thanks. And I get messages like all the time and it's really awesome and it never it never stops. I I never stop being touched by an or like a message or you know feeling nice from a message with someone's being like i didn't know what to expect and and uh, i really really enjoyed it so yeah that's been that's been an, an interesting one 
Yeah. And is that uh, writing? Is the writing process something that has taken you a lot of crafting and working behind the scenes to figure out how to pull it off? Because you're obviously, you know, great at writing comedy. You've been doing that for years, and you probably had a lot of talented people to sit down and work with. But I'm sure that you've had to just really grind away at getting this to the point that it's a show that's been released and good enough to get renewed for a second season. Yeah, I mean, look. There's no, it's absolutely undenying that I, that I needed a lot of help with this because it's the first time that I'd ever done anything like that. And so, um, you know, Becky did, Becky Lucas helped me out a lot with some, you know, Becky's really, really, really great at dialogue. Um, a guy called Greg Waters is the script producer and he really, really sort of guided me through the understanding of how drama works, I guess. And, but overall writing it was not an easy thing and I and I didn't I didn't um I struggled with the pressures of writing a TV show it's different to writing stand-up you know with stand-up you've got your show and it needs to be you know your show needs to be finished um on the first day of Brisbane Comedy Festival in March 2019 and between now and then nobody gives a shit what you do they don't care. They don't talk to you about it. They don't call you up. How's it coming along? Hey, can we read, you know, the show now? They do not give a shit. They just trust that on the first day of your show and Melbourne and you know, Melbourne or Brisbane Comedy Festival, wherever you decide to start your run, that it's gonna be ready and it's gonna be worth people to pay thirty five dollars a ticket for. Whereas a TV show, every week there's people you know going hey we need the script we need to read it and then you you do that and then it's not just your producers that are reading it it's a network who want to read it it's the screen financing bodies that want to read it and rightly so they i mean they're, they're putting in so much money all of these all of these different people are putting in time and money for your you know little show so they need they need to make sure that it's good but it doesn't stop it from being terrifying and more difficult than i thought it would be for the very first time that's interesting okay so we're getting towards the end of the questions here matt and i want to know what would be your advice to people you know to people who want to do the things that you've been able to do in your career whether it's you know be on the radio or be a stand-up comic or write a tv show i'm sure that there's some elements of the grind that apply to everything yeah, I mean, my my main thing is my main mantra is you got to be in it to win it. Just do it. <laughs> I'm like listing all these ads now, um, yeah. but realistically, just do it. Obey your thirst. Uh, my other one is M and M's. Um, success is my only mother flipping option. Failure is not. Right. Don't give yourself an opportunity to not do what you're wanting to do. If you're an actor, it's so easy to start working you know, in the cafe and then, and then, you know, you get promoted to be the manager in the cafe. And so you have to be there every day and it's, you know, you know that you're not going to be able to make auditions every now and then, but at least you're getting paid, you know, a thousand dollars a week. And it means, you know, it means you can pay your bills every day. That sort of stuff will be the death of your career. As, as much as it sucks, that's just what's going to happen. So you got to be in it to win it, make yourself available, be, and, and put your, put your ass into it. Respect the people that you work around. And the three biggest key things that I will always say, if you, anyone wants to be like a successful, say, comedian, it's it's like literally there's just there's three things. The first one is be 
pretty funny. <laughs> you don't have to be the funniest person in the world. You don't like just you honestly don't. You don't have to be some incredible genius, right? Just be pretty funny. Reply to your emails. <laughs> all right. Because I cannot tell you how many dumb dogs don't reply to their emails and are disappointed when they don't get opportunities and they're not, they're overlooked for things. Reply to emails, turn up on time, be a reasonable person to work with because people are relying on you for their livelihood as well. They need to make money. They got mouths to feed. Just be good at business. And the third thing is just don't be a dickhead. Yeah. That's it. Golden rule. <laughs> that's all three. That's all three. The three things you can you can do to be pretty successful in anything is be pretty good at it, reply to your emails, and don't be a dickhead. You should write a book. That's a leaf. That's a business card. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Those are the rules. Yeah. Now, you might have answered this question before with the superhero thing, but if you could, this is my last question. If you could do anything and know that you wouldn't fail, what would you do? Is it Black Panther 2? <laughs> nah, I tell you what, I would I would write uh I'd write a movie, act in it, direct it, write the music for it, and then take a real long holiday. That's awesome. Yeah, that's what I'd love to do. I think that's probably like a five year project that I'll have maybe not yet, but maybe in a couple of years. Yeah. Okay. Well that's pretty cool. And I've just sent you a photo on Twitter and I want you to look at this. I mentioned this in my first message to you. I played under 10s basketball with Alex Dyson. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, if you can see this picture, that's him there on the right. Bit of a throwback to... that's. Is that him? That's, Number five? That's 1998. That's him playing for Jamison he Street. He doesn't... Really? He does, he's changed. His looks changed a bit. Is that you on the, no, with the ball? No, I'm not in that photo. I took that from the newspaper <laughs> that I worked at. I was going to say, you look different as well. <laughs> Um. Yeah. Wow. Well, there you go. I'll have to tell him that we had a chat. <laughs> we were on the same team. I don't know if he remembers me. Under tens. He was probably the best guy on the team. I will give him credit for that. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll let him know that we've had a chat, and uh, and I'll I'll tell him that you said that he sucks, and uh, <laughs> that that you'll meet him down at the courts, the Warrnambool courts. Uh, you know, on Saturday. Oh man, I'm not even in Warrnambool, but uh, yeah, <laughs> but- I'm sure he's 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 probably not either. <laughs> Um, no, thanks, man. Well, I'm really glad that we had a chat. Yeah, thanks. And I'm glad that we could figure this, you know, figure out our timings and stuff. Yes, and our internet lasted all the way till the end without any problems. Well, yeah, yes. Nothing wrong happened at all. Thanks, Jono. Thank you for listening and thanks to Audio Technica. You can check out Matt on Twitter at Matt O'Kine. His website is mattokine.com. And if you want to support the show, remember you can leave an iTunes review. It really helps a lot. If you really enjoyed the show, you can pick up some sweet putting in work merchandise over at 8bit.net slash P-I-W, that's A-T-E-B-I-T. And of course, that's also the website where you can find the rest of the awesome podcast content from the 8-Bit Collective, everything you could want in nerd and pop culture. You can follow me on Twitter at Jono himself. And until next week, keep putting in work. <laughs>